Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Foundations Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This weekly podcast is designed to accompany your discipleship group and help you build a strong foundation in the Christian faith. We want to equip you so you can be unleashed to obey Jesus' command to make disciples. We want to make Jesus' final words our first work. Well, hello and welcome back to the Foundations Podcast. So last week we looked at what is the Bible? And remember, we said that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and authoritative Word of God. And by inspired, we mean that the Holy Spirit worked in and through the human authors of the Bible in such a way that they wrote the very words of God. Now, that doesn't mean that they were in a trance when they wrote or that God dictated all of Scripture to them. But the Holy Spirit worked through their personalities and their skills and their experiences so that they wrote the very words of God. And by inerrant, we said that the Bible is inerrant. Inerrant means that the Bible is wholly true. It's fully reliable in all that it affirms. It is without error. And by authoritative, we mean that to disobey or obey scripture is to disobey or obey God himself since these are the very words of God. So now that we know what the Bible is, I want us to look at why do we read the Bible? I want us to think about this. And again, this might seem like an obvious question, but it's not something that we talk about very often. At least I don't think we do. We just assume that we should read the Bible. So first, let's talk about why we don't read the Bible. We don't read the Bible to score brownie points with God. We can't do anything to earn God's favor. Our standing with God is based only on faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus has paid the price for our sins and made a way for us to have a relationship with God. That's our only basis for right standing with God. We're saved by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. So reading the Bible doesn't change your standing with God in in any way. Why read the Bible then? Well, we have to understand that the Bible contains everything that we need to become a Christian, to grow as a Christian, and to live as a Christian. So let's break that down a little bit. Let's unpack that. So first, the Bible contains everything that we need to become a Christian. 2 Timothy 3.15 says that the sacred writings, or scripture, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the Bible shows us our need for Jesus, it exposes our sin, and it tells us how to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. It's only through scripture that we know how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, how to be saved. Next, the Bible also contains everything that we need to grow as Christians. In Matthew 4.4, Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So just as our physical lives are maintained through a regular intake of food, in the same way our spiritual lives are dependent on regular nourishment from the word of God. And finally, we said the Bible contains what we need to live as Christians. So the Bible is our only source for clear and direct statements about God's will. Now, Scripture doesn't reveal everything about God's will. Of course, some things are a mystery, a secret. But he has revealed to us exactly what he wants us to know. 1 John 5, 3 says, Love for God is is demonstrated by keeping his commandments. And where do we find those commandments? 
we find them in Scripture. We know his commandments through Scripture. So the Bible contains what we need to live our lives as Christians. So again, the Bible contains what we need to become Christians, to grow as Christians, and to live as Christians. So Scripture is absolutely foundational to our faith. But I want to add one more point here. I want us to look at 2 Corinthians 3.18. In this verse, Paul says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Okay, so Paul says, Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. In other words, God's glory is transforming. Now, then we can ask the question, where do we see God's glory? Well, if we back up to verse 15 of this chapter in 2 Corinthians 3, so 2 Corinthians 3, 15, we see that Paul is talking about reading scripture here in context. So we see God's glory in scripture through the help of the Holy Spirit. And as we see that glory in scripture, as we see God's glory revealed through scripture, it transforms us. The more we behold God in scripture, the more we become like him. But the opposite is also true. So the more we take our eyes off God, the more ungodly we become. Or another way to think of this is we become what we behold. Whatever you fix your attention and your affections on will shape who you become. Pastor Sam Storm said it this way, you become like what you behold. Now pause for a moment and ask yourself, why am I not changing more consistently? Why am I not becoming more like Jesus? Perhaps the answer is found in what you are beholding. If the focus of your sight is the banal trash and mindless sensuality of TV and the internet and Facebook, is it any wonder that you aren't today substantially different or more like Jesus than you were a week ago or a year ago? I'll leave it at that and let you meditate on your answer. So if we just fill our minds with hour upon hour of mindless drivel from the internet and TV and news and talk radio and sports and politics and Netflix and you fill in the blank. If we fill our minds with hour upon hour of all those things, is it any wonder that we're not growing spiritually? We become what we behold. So if we want to grow spiritually, we need a steady diet in scripture where we can regularly behold God's transforming glory. That's why we read the Bible. We don't read the Bible to score brownie points with God and not even to necessarily just find practical tidbits for every scenario in life. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible does have a lot of practical information in it, but it doesn't speak on every single situation in our lives. We ultimately read the Bible to see God, to see his glory, and to know God. So this is why reading any part of scripture even Leviticus, I know that's everybody's favorite book to read, but even reading Leviticus is better than reading any other book written by man because God's glory is revealed in his word in a special way. And as we behold that glory, we become more like God. When we encounter the living God on the pages of scripture, we'll never be the same. We will be changed. We will be transformed. So remember, we become what we behold. So let's spend time beholding and meditating on God 
in Scripture. Because if we don't behold God in Scripture regularly, our hearts will quickly try to find something else to behold. There are always many things in this world begging for our attention, and our hearts will quickly wander and try to find something else to behold. That's why we need to read the Bible regularly, because we become what we behold. Now, with our remaining time, now that we know that we need to read the Bible and why we should read the Bible, I want to address a common question, which is, which translation of the Bible should I read? Now, we don't have enough time here to give this a full treatment. We could probably spend several podcast episodes just on this topic alone, but I still want to address it here. And the first thing we should say is that we need to approach this topic with humility. We need to realize that thousands of languages in the world, literally thousands of languages, still don't have even one translation of the Word of God. And thousands more only have the New Testament. So as English speakers, we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to Bible translations. We have many very good translations. So we shouldn't take that for granted. And that should give us some perspective before we get into any unnecessary debates about which translation is quote-unquote best. Okay. With that being said, I want us to know that there are three major approaches to Bible translation. So translation is sort of a spectrum. And on one side, you have what's called a word-for-word or literal or essentially literal. You'll hear all those terms used. So we have a word-for-word approach on one side of the spectrum. And these translations prioritize reproducing the structure of the original language into English. So remember, the Old Testament was written mostly in Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic sprinkled in there as well. And the New Testament was written in Greek. So these word-for-word approaches try to, as much as possible, reproduce the Hebrew or Greek structure in English. So some of the strengths of this approach are that These translations allow the reader to see word patterns and sort of make connections throughout Scripture because they often try to use the same English word to translate the same Greek or Hebrew word, at least as much as possible. That's not always possible, but as much as they can, they try to use the same English word to translate the same Hebrew or Greek word. Now, these word-for-word translations can also be less interpretive. So they try to make a distinction between the task of translation and interpretation. So they try to minimize the amount of interpretation that goes into translating. So they try to remain as transparent to the original as possible, meaning if the original text is ambiguous about the meaning of something, these translations will try to be ambiguous as well. So they try to minimize the amount of interpretation that goes into translation. So some examples of this word-for-word approach include the ESV or the English Standard Bible and the NASB, the New American Standard Bible. There are other examples as well, but those are just a couple. So you have the word-for-word approach on one end of the translation spectrum. Then on the other end, you have what's called a thought-for-thought or more of a a meaning-based translation. And these translations prioritize reproducing the meaning of the original Greek or Hebrew into English. 
So whereas the word-for-word -word translations prioritize reproducing the structure of the original languages, the thought-for-thought -thought translations prioritize reproducing the meaning of the original. So some strengths of this approach are that when it's done well, it can actually be more accurate in preserving the original meaning. Now you might be thinking, what? Isn't the word-for-word -word approach always better? Don't we want a word-for-word -word translation? And the answer is not always, not necessarily. Think of it like this. And just a little disclaimer here, I am not an expert on languages of any sort, so just want to say that. But in Spanish, if you say, como se llama, the word-for-word -word meaning of that phrase is literally how yourself call. But nobody translates it that way, right? Because what it means is, what's your name? If somebody says, como se llama, we translate it as, what's your name? Because that's what it means. So in translation, our priority is usually meaning, not necessarily following the exact structure of the original, because the reality is no two languages are perfectly compatible when it comes to structure and grammar and vocabulary. It's not just as simple as having this word in the original language and then plugging in the equivalent in the receptor language. That's not how languages work, and that's especially true when we're looking at ancient Hebrew and Greek versus modern English. So meaning-based or thought-for-thought -thought approaches can be more accurate in the sense that they can better preserve the intended meaning of the original. But they have to be done well because these approaches also have a chance for them to be a little bit more interpretive where the translators include a bit more interpretation in their translation. Now, another strength of these translations is that they tend to use more natural English, and so they can be more appropriate in some cases for children or maybe for non-believers or for people who speak English as a second language. So an example of this approach or this type of translation would be the NLT, the New Living Translation. The third main approach to Bible translation. So remember, we've talked about the word-for-word -word approach and the thought-for-thought. -thought. The third main approach is what we call a mediating or a middle ground position. So these translations recognize that there are strengths in both the word-for-word -word and the thought-for-thought -thought approach. So they use a word-for-word -word approach as much as possible when it doesn't obscure the meaning in English, but they'll use a more meaning-based or thought-for-thought -thought approach when it's necessary to convey an accurate meaning, to reproduce the meaning of the original. So some examples of this approach include the NIV, or the New International Version, and the Christian Standard Bible, or the, the CSB, although the, the CSB does actually fall closer to the word-for-word -word approach than the NIV does. The NIV is closer to the thought-for-thought. -thought. So as far as which translation to use, the biggest takeaway, the biggest thing to remember in all of this is that it's always best to use a variety of translations. All of the major translations, including the ones that we just talked about, the examples that we just gave, all of them do certain things well, and they all do other things not as well. They all have strengths and, and weaknesses. So it's always best to consult a variety of translations when you can. Now, you can certainly have one main translation, and we actually recommend that for the purpose of memorization. 
but we always recommend consulting other translations as you study the word. Now, you also have to think about, as you're picking a translation, especially your main translation, you have to think about what you're using the translation for. If you're doing an in-depth study or maybe a word study, you'll probably want to stick to a more word-for-word approach. So something like the ESV or the NASB, or if you're just doing broader reading of scripture or maybe sharing scripture with a non-Christian or with children or maybe with somebody who speaks English as a second language, you might want to use a more meaning-based or thought-for-thought translation, something like the NLT. Or if you want just sort of an all-around translation, something that you can use for a little bit of everything, you might want a more middle ground approach, something like the CSB or the NIV. Now, one last point here, you'll also come across what are called paraphrases of scripture. So all the translations that we've mentioned up to this point were created by committees with dozens and in some cases even hundreds of scholars with PhDs and proper credentials. But paraphrases of scripture are usually just one person's interpretation of scripture, and they tend to be extremely far on the meaning-based or thought-for-thought side of the translation spectrum. So the the NLT, the New Living Translation, is a thought-for-thought translation, but these paraphrases tend to be much further on the spectrum, much further on the thought-for-thought side than even the the NLT or the, the New Living Translation. So these paraphrases often don't preserve much of the original form, much of the original structure at all. They can be, quote-unquote, loose in their translation. So paraphrases can sometimes be helpful to consult, but we don't recommend using these as your primary Bible. An example of a paraphrase would be The Message by Eugene Peterson. That's a a pretty well-known one. So again, these can sometimes be helpful to consult, but we don't recommend using a paraphrase as your primary Bible. Now, as we mentioned in an earlier podcast episode, page 18 of your D-Group Starter Guide lists some recommended study Bibles. So I would encourage you to check that list out if you haven't done that already. Study Bibles are great resources to help you as you journey through the Bible. And these are a few that we recommend, including a few different translations that you can choose from. So hopefully this conversation has helped give you some context on those different translations that we've listed out there. And hopefully this conversation has motivated you to get into the Bible until it gets into you. Remember that the Bible contains everything that we need to become a Christian, to grow as a Christian, and to live as a Christian. And remember that we become what we behold. So we need to spend time beholding God's transforming glory in Scripture. That's why we read the Bible. So that's all for this week. And remember that our purpose in all of this and talking about all these different topics is that we want to equip you to be a disciple maker because we want to obey Jesus' command to make disciples. We want to make Jesus' final words our first work.